Hi, it's Leonard here and I have a quick but special note before we start today's interview. Do you know that most purchases are influenced by feelings and not facts? Research found that emotions drive over 95% of consumer decisions. So if you want to increase the sales of your CPG product, you must understand how consumers choose and buy better for you food or beverage brands. And this is exactly what we uncover in our new free ebook titled Cracking the Code, How Consumers Choose Healthy Food and Beverage CPG Products. This has six core insights that will help you better understand your customers so you can improve your sales velocity, whether in your retail or e-commerce platforms. Get a copy now by visiting thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. That's thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. Brandstar Goes Healthy features founders and CEOs of healthy food and beverage CPG companies who share their biggest successes, hardest failures, strategic learnings, and tactical tips so you can learn from them and help you avoid mistakes and instead succeed in building your own healthy food and beverage brands. If you lead a vegan, plant-based, organic, all-natural, functional, and other healthy food and beverage CPG company, then this show is for you. Hosted by Leonard Grape, founder and CEO of The Vineyard, the brand development company for the healthy food and beverage CPG industry. Hey everyone, it's Leonard here and you're listening to the Brand Start Goes Healthy podcast where we help better for you food and beverage CPG founders build stronger brands through first-hand stories and insights from the CPG industry. And today, we're doing a special episode, and I'm so excited to be joined by Jesse Freitag, a CPG productivity and operations consultant and the host of the Startup CPG podcast. Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Before we get going, why don't you tell us a brief background about yourself and what you do? Yeah, so I do a a variety of things. As you mentioned, one of them is that I'm the host of the Startup CPG podcast. Startup CPG is a community for emerging CPG brands, a lot of food and beverage, but also beauty, pets, even household. There's about 14,000 people in the Slack community for that. And then the podcast is just one of the mini resources part of that community. There's a magazine, there's webinars, there's a tons of ways to get involved in-person meetups. So that's one part of what I do. I also do operations and productivity consulting. So a lot of that is fractional operations work for CPG brands, primarily food, helping them do the back end of finding a co-manufacturer, managing the co-manufacturer, managing their freight. And then I also do setups for like Notion, the productivity to-do list tool. And so I'll do custom builds and consulting and classes around that. We've got quite a lot of overlap in the industry that we serve. We both host a podcast that's focused on CPG. So I'm really excited to uncover a lot of things in this conversation, Jesse. But first, I'd like to ask the official question that I ask everyone who comes onto the show, but I'm tweaking this a bit for you. How did you find your start in the CPG industry? I mean, what were the domino instances that led you to where you are today? Yeah, it's it's a, such a fun question. I had a very, very early and brief start in CPG. I don't actually even normally mention it, but I'm I'm feeling like it today. Of in college, I started a tiny little like CPG like dessert 
brand out of the school cafeteria. We like rented the cafeteria at night and we would make little packaged treats and sell them. So that was officially my very first entry into CPG. It was very fun, you know, college project time. And we got into, you know, sold into some uh, local businesses and stuff. That was very fun. And then my more official entry into CPG was I've been in operations. I've been in operations for about 10 years at this point in a lot of different industries from uh, the law world to healthcare to nonprofits and and then sportswear at Adidas. And so I was working at Adidas in operations and I got a call asking if I was interested in being one of the first hires at a CPG company that was local to me. They just received some investment money and they were hiring, you know, two people, one to take over sales and one take to take over ops, marketing and everything else, including manufacturing. And that sounded like a really interesting and fun challenge to me and to especially to dig into the operations side in an industry I wasn't as familiar with. So that's how I kind of got started in there. That was the end of 2019 or 2018 was when I started out there. And then I was there from being employee number two, three, all the way through to through about 30 employees. So built out the manufacturing. I was the plant manager for a couple years you know, we got into, we went from 10 stores to about 2000. We launched with Sprouts. We launched nationally with UNFI and KEHI. So just like a lot of growth in just two or three years. And it was a really good crash course on the CPG industry. That's, that's essentially a, a, like a startup, a full startup experience for you. Uh, when you, when you went into that uh, startup company, I'm, I'm curious to ask, what were some of the major learnings that you had working in in that startup CPG company. Yeah, I think uh, there's def- there's so many. Some of them would be around just s- not scaling too fast, I think that you know this w- it was a company that had a lot of pressure to grow really fast from investment money and you know I think we learned really quickly that it's it's difficult to grow fast effectively. Like you can open hundreds of new doors and then maybe not have the marketing support to be able to sell through those doors and then you lose them. And it would have maybe been better to have waited and gone into those doors later when you had a little more preparation. Um, you know, so just growing, growing too fast was definitely a big thing and having the right, the right support team in place to support store launches. Also just the cash to cash cycle, being so long, you know, you get all excited that you, we were self-manufactured. So it's even longer if you're working with a co-manufacturer and you're paying deposits for your, for your orders, but you know, you're ordering ingredients, you get a purchase order from a distributor, you ship the product to them, they sell it, you know, then they finally pay you for the product after, you know, they have like three months after it's delivered, then there's probably chargebacks. And then you need three to six months to dispute those. So just like, your cash to cash cycle is so long and you really have to prepare for that. So those are a couple things that were big. And just, you know, when you go from two people to 30 people, you need a lot of structure for employees, especially most of that was on the manufacturing side, about 20 employees were in manufacturing, but I learned a lot just about how to structure training and creating systems for employees that are onboarding into a manufacturing environment and how to set them up for success. When the team gets that big, you just, you need a lot more systems in place than when you just have a couple people. 
Thank you so much for sharing that, Jesse. It's so different to run a like two to three to five employee team as compared to when you're now trying to scale up into a 30-person, 50-person company. And as you mentioned, it's important that you grow in a pace that you're comfortable and that you're actually prepared. It's something that I've also written. That so as long as you you set the right foundation in, in your operations and your company, you'll be set for, for a better growth. And you don't grow just for the sake of growing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, it, it might backfire. Uh, I definitely want to uncover some of your experiences as an operations consultant, uh, understanding that your focus is more on helping CPG companies, right? And your end goal is really help them boost their productivity and improve their operations. So I, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. How would you describe a CPG company that is actually productive and running their operations efficiently? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. And obviously it looks different for different companies, what you know, what something efficiently can mean. They think people can have different goals. But I think for me, my the place I start is always would be asking employees questions and founders too, of just asking people questions about how they field or what are the like sticking points? Are there frustrations in their job, especially like operational pieces? Like are they frustrated with any software? Are they frustrated with any processes? Do they not know any processes? Like if you ask someone, if I ask someone, hey, if you need to save a file, where do you say it? You know, do they have a really clear answer for that? If they don't know how to do something, do they have a clear answer on where they go? You know, do they understand why they do what they do? Do they understand the purpose of each piece of software within the company and why it's used? Um, you know, do they also, do they document what they do regularly? Those are some of the questions that I would kind of ask to sort of start to suss out like, okay, how smoothly are things going? But a lot of it would be trying, is trying to find the friction points of, are, is there a lot of duplication of work, things being done over and over? Are people unclear about what their priorities are? And, you know, those kind of questions can usually help identify like how th- smooth things are going, or maybe things are going smooth, but maybe there's opportunities to make things even better in those question areas. Thanks for that answer, Jesse. I was actually more of expecting like numbers, like how you gain 50% increase in productivity. But what you answered seems to be such a basic thing, but I don't think a lot of startup CPG founders or CEOs, especially as they grow, would actually think about that as basic as asking questions, figuring out where are some of the friction points, as you mentioned. And typically, in your experience, those are the items within the company where you can have opportunity to increase efficiencies, right? Yeah. And it's interesting about the numbers because, of course, you can look at the numbers to see how well a company's doing. I often find at the startup level, though, that oftentimes people are either intentionally or unintentionally misrepresenting their numbers because, you know, they're a little embarrassed about them or they're not sure how to calculate them. And so sometimes like starting from a numbers perspective isn't always super helpful. And oftentimes you're working with someone, you know, like a CFO, fractional CFO or something specifically, usually for my part, I'm like, okay, how do we make things smoother and easier and everyone's lives easier? And how do we prep for scaling? So you may have, you may be doing this, you know, these numbers now, but if you're on a trajectory to grow, how do we make sure everything's set up for you to grow? 
I want to try and make this a little more tactical though and dive deeper on that efficiency level and improving productivity. Do you have any tips or what are some specific operational changes that a CPG CEO can look into uh, in terms of trying to boost efficiency or improve their operations, Jesse? Yeah, and some of these are really basic, but you would be surprised at how often they don't happen. The, the first one is very simple, very easy. Have a have a, way, a system for naming your files, like whether it's just you or whether you have five employees, 10 employees, whatever it is, have a consistent way that you name your files, like the file name, the person who edited its initials, and the date, and, and, and consistency on how you put the data in. I know that sounds so basic, but especially on the like purchasing and documents around ingredients and having gone through a lot of audits. Having being on the same page for your file naming system or even just saving things like, oh, one person got an onboarding deck from UNFI. Now someone else needs to find it. You know, having consistency in where you save your files and kind of the, the brain of your organization that everyone's contributing to. That's one very simple one that you can just kind of set up, let everybody know what it is. That helps a ton. And then I would also say just like creating, you don't want to part of the reason so many people work in startups is because you don't have to have as much structure as like when you're in a fortune 500 company or whatever, and you want to be able to have the room to work the way you want to work. And so there's this balance of not creating too much structure, but I think especially as you scale, your employees will need some structure. And so the opportunities where you can create little pieces of structure, or when you're trying to implement change building things in. So say, for example, you're trying to use, I use a software tool Notion. Like I said, it's often used for project management or these things. You're trying to use this, a tool like Notion or Trello, and you don't know how to get your team to use it. You don't really know how to use it. So how can you build it into regular pieces with your team? Like how can you share that software on the screen with everyone during your weekly team meetings? Can you have monthly team meetings where you review you know, how your documents are being saved and organized. Can you have, you know, can you build in check-ins for things that are super critical to your business and points to review them? Like, okay, every so many months we review our suppliers and we think about which suppliers we're going to need in six months and we start to plan for that. So kind of creating some structures and reminders for yourself as you scale. And I often, a lot of times founders are trying to implement technology. Like I said, like a, you know, sometimes it's even an inventory system and creating, building that into the structure of your day, whether it's making your software part of meetings, making it part of check-ins, sharing on the screen, like, okay, this is my to-do list. This is your to-do list. We're going to look at it together on the screen sometimes can help people get in the habit of using things they're not used to using. And then the last one would just be document everything that you can. I love Loom. Like if I was, if I could be sponsored by Loom, that would be, that's my dream job um, because I love the screen recording tool Loom. And I see founders that like take the time to document via Loom or you can even use Zoom, which is, you know, you can do free little videos, but just documenting things you do regularly and saving them somewhere, squirreling them away in the file. And then when you hire people and you hire more people and they're like, oh, how do I do X? You can just say, oh yeah, I documented myself doing that and they can go watch it. You save yourself so much time onboarding people and teaching people things that are just living rent-free in your brain. So if you can get them out of your head and into a document or into a video, that will, that I find that saves so much time and I've had it save me hours, you know, personally. I was smiling the whole time you were sharing that. 
uh, Jesse because I, I'd, I'd admit to some extent I, I was a victim of not having the right systems and you know it's especially even that that little item of having the right system of how you save and document your file names but it's, it's interesting just recently because we launched our unlimited copywriting subscription service uh, called Happy Copy. But this time, what we did was we wanted to have a zero-meeting policy for the entire thing. So whether that's us internally or when we, we get clients, we want to make sure that everything is as efficient as possible. So that's exactly how we did it. We use Trello. We use email automation for all the signups. And we've just recently built a number of Loom um, onboarding videos. That's what. That's why I was really smiling. And it, 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 you. What's something that you can do for like a five minute orientation in video would probably take 20, 30 minutes when you do it live on Zoom, and then you'd have mm-hmm. to repeat it. So I, I really appreciate that, that answer, Jesse. I think that's very important, especially as startup CPGs try to scale. But a little more on the tools. You mentioned a few already, like Notion, Trello, and Loom. But do you have any other suggested systems or tools that founders must have in their companies? Yeah, I, I really recommend, if if you can, having some sort of CRM, customer relationship management, especially to manage if you're doing any sort of wholesale sales, selling to retailers, Having a CRM, and there's a lot of them that are free, like HubSpot's free version is quite robust. There's Streak for Gmail, there's Less Annoying CRM, there's Turnpike, like there's a lot of these options and many of them are free. And basically the idea is that it's going to track the emails that you send and it's a central place to save your notes. So, so for example, if you've emailed a bunch of different people at Whole Foods, maybe your buyer has changed, you know, for example, HubSpot is a system I've used for a long time. I can go in and click Whole Foods and it'll say, okay, here's everyone you've ever emailed at Whole Foods. And then I can click on that person and say, oh, here's the whole history I have with this person at Whole Foods. Here's all the notes from when I called them and the emails are logged automatically. That can save so much time. And when you onboard your first or second salesperson, just having the history of every email that's been sent, if you've logged your call notes, like that is just a wealth of knowledge that, you know, you it could take six months to explain verbally what could just be stored in a software tool. So I would say a CRM is really important. Also, there's some really cool tools on the customer experience side. Like I have used Gorgeous, for example, which is uh, G-O-R-G-I-A-S. And, you know, there's there's other tools like it, but it essentially takes all your customer interactions from your Instagram DMs to your voicemails to your hello inbox. And it puts them all in one place and it has some really cool automation. So like if a customer emails and says, hey, where's my order? It'll look up their email in your Shopify or whatever platform you're using and say, okay, here's the here's the shipping number. Okay, it's in transit. And it'll, it'll just email them back and say, hey, so-and-so, your order is in transit and it should be there tomorrow. That's one less thing that you have to do. And there's also some really cool chat bots that you can build out either via text or online. Like I was just chatting with um, with Jess Servion, who manages the customer experience at Feastables, which is Mr. Beast's CPG brand. And they were getting, I had just talked to her, so I wrote down these numbers. They were getting 15 to 30,000 customer service wow. tickets every two weeks via text. And they set up a chat bot for their text. And within 
was after setting that up, they got 90% less tickets. I mean, so they were able to, you have, you have, you, you know, you're, you can have such a small and mighty team by using some, the power of like automation and some of these chat bots that you can build out. So I really recommend looking into a tool like that. They're generally actually pretty affordable and, you know, you can do a lot with them. Even you can just start up with getting your FAQ page and plug it into a chat bot. Like it's amazing how far that will go and the amount of volume it decreases for your team. And also it makes your customers feel like you thought ahead of them and you thought about what they might ask and you can have fun with it too. So those are a couple of places of technology that I think are really fun to start in. That's gold right there, Jesse. Thank you so much for being so generous in sharing those information. And it really helps a lot. And usually when you're in the startup phase, you're so scrappy, you want to do everything at once, and then you don't even get the time to really sit down and think a lot about the systems. Quick question though, when do you think should a startup founder be thinking about this? Like six months in, a year in, or is it better like before? During the stage of inception, you already have a sense of having this because one potential reason is we're not there yet, right? So it's not something that we need right now. So what's your advice in terms of the timing of when you implement this these kinds of tools? Yeah, it's and it depends on the founder. It's not that there. This isn't the only way to do it, but like with something like a CRM. You know, I think you can really do that from day one. Basically, every company I've worked at for the I don't know the last how many years. I've set up a HubSpot like the day I start and I just, it starts tracking my emails rather than logging my call notes in like my phone or like my notes. I just log them straight in HubSpot. So it doesn't really add any extra time for me. It's just continually logging. And then if I need it, it's there. If I don't need it, you know, oh, well, I I ended up documenting a bunch of extra information. So I think if you choose the right tool that can just help you set it up from the beginning, like with the CRM, I'd say just go for it from the the beginning, I know, I think of like Sandra Velasquez at Nopalera, like she's very big on systems. And like, she set up all these things like very from the beginning when she was on her own, because she knew that if there was a chance she was going to scale, she might as well just have it set up and it wasn't really adding any extra time. So with something like a gorgeous or something, I would say that, you know, it depends on if it's going to save you time. Like if you're spending time going from Instagram to your hello inbox, to reading your voicemails, to going to Facebook Messenger, you know, maybe you could look at the cost of a tool like that. Think about how much time you'll save. And maybe for you, you're like, maybe it makes sense to do right away because it's going to save you X hours a week, which gives you more chance to bring in revenue for the business. So maybe the trade-offs there, maybe it's not, maybe you love going into each platform individually and that's the right fit for you. So it depends a little bit more, but you know, I think you can do these things pretty, pretty early and pretty, you know, in a pretty low impact way where you're not, it's not adding to your workload. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And thanks for that, Jesse. Now, you've talked to so many CPG brands through your podcast, and I've also interviewed several CPG founders in the show, although particularly from the Better For You CPG category. What I've seen is the starting phase is usually both an extremely exciting and challenging stage, right? It's when they get to incubate their idea, get to really have that vision of what they want to achieve and then bring it to life put their products in the hands of their customers. But at the same time, it's tough, uh, right? Because there are so many things that they need to consider from capitalization, increasing capacity. And we're talking about scaling. So as they grow, they need to expand sales channels, et cetera. So I'm, I'm curious, Jesse, in your experience, what have you seen as the common scaling challenges? Because I think a lot of these productivity and efficiency tools 
should help you really get to that next level of scale, right? But what are the common scaling challenges that you've seen among startup CPGs? And are there any effective ways that they can overcome these hurdles? Hey there, we're pausing a bit for a quick break. Most unsuccessful CPG brands don't have product problems. They have messaging and marketing problems. Your product quality is great, but have consumers learned enough about it? Your product tastes delicious, but are you driving product trials so they can taste it? Your product is healthy and functional, but have you built enough awareness about its benefits? If you feel you have a great product, but your sales say otherwise, then you need to move from unclear to powerful messaging, from weak to effective marketing. This is where we can help you through our four quadrants of CPG brand development. If you need some support, don't hesitate to reach out. Just head on to www.thevineyardbc.com. That's www.thevineyardbc.com. Now, back to the conversation. Yeah, one that I see a lot, and partially because it's something that I work on often, is just you know thinking about commercial the commercial availability of your ingredients and switching from you know maybe ingredients that you used to source maybe when you first started on your product you're able to go grab your favorite local made vanilla from the farmers market and you're able to you know you were able to buy all these pieces locally then as you scale suddenly people are asking you for certifications and maybe you switch to a co-packer or your own manufacturing where you have to have all these you know, proof for food safety. And all of a sudden you can't source from the people that maybe you originally wanted to source from. So I see that being a challenge of trying to then be like, okay, well, how do I find a vanilla that has all the right paperwork that doesn't cost a fortune to ship to me? And also, you know, that is going to be available, you know, that's going to have the right lead times and everything for what I need. It can be a big switch to go from, or even being able to go to Costco and buy an ingredient to having to wait for an ingredient that maybe has a eight week lead time and maybe the minimum to order it as a pallet. So that can be a common tripping point. And also starting to think through as you scale. So maybe when you're small, maybe you source an ingredient from a local distributor that has all the right paperwork. But at some point, as you grow, you're probably going to need to source just direct from that supplier. So kind of building a pathway at the beginning of, okay, I'm going to source from the distributor for now because I save X on shipping. I know I'm paying this markup. Then I'm going to source directly from this person when I get to this volume. And then when I get to this volume, I'm going to source from this person kind of identifying your, your pathway. That can be super helpful because I feel like ingredients can just be a really big challenge. Same with packaging, mapping out that pathway for, you know, as you scale. And then the other area that I see a lot of kind of friction in is just as you add employees, managing like your to-dos and prioritizing. And when when it's you and a co-founder, some, there's a lot to do, but it can be a little bit easier to be like, okay, we each have our handwritten lists or we talk to each other every day. Once you have three or five people, it's like, okay, what's each person working on? Are they prioritizing the right things? Are we moving the right things forward? There's so many things to do. And how do you keep employees accountable? especially for as a founder, when it's your business, like you feel very personally connected to it and employees that you hire, like hopefully your first, you know, your employees will be really passionate as well, but you're going to want to know what they're doing and managing all of that can be, can be tricky. And so those are a couple, you know, challenges that I, that I definitely see that can be a little bit of hurdles. 
Yeah, that's there's so much to to get from that, Jesse. There are so many things about operations that I think you can you can really help out uh, the startup founder community. But I'd like to shift our conversation now to talk a bit about brand development. Like in your experience, both in your previous job and in in your career now as a consultant and as a host, would you say that branding is an important aspect of building a CPG company? Yeah, I mean, branding, I think, is so important. It's so critical. And this this isn't even my area of expertise, but it's an interesting crossover kind of anecdote that I'll share from the operations world is when I was talking with a co-packer that I really love, they're called Motherload, um, and uh, Kit there was on the Startup CPG podcast. And we were, I've, you know, I've worked with him with clients and he was talking about how they get so many people reaching out to them saying, Hey, will you co-pack my product? Will you co-manufacture my product? And when they're vetting all these leads, one of the first things he does is he goes to their social media page and he looks at their branding and he sees if he thinks it's going to be differentiated on the shelf. And he looks at their social media following to see if it looks like they have like some good, you know, proof of concept and, you know, some, some good connections with consumer. And I was like, that's so interesting that even your co-manufacturer is interested in your branding and whether it's strong enough to show up at shelf. And because it's also can be a huge challenge to maybe you've been selling something online or at a farmer's market to go for that being represented on store grocery store shelves, especially you, there's, you know, there's the, an average of like 40,000 items in a grocery store and you have to stand out. So it's huge. And again, you know, this is not my main area of expertise, but I would recommend like if you are wanting to learn more about branding from some really good experts, there's a podcast, uh, the Kirk and Kurtz podcast by Kirk Bysola and uh, Andy Kurtz. That is an excellent podcast where they really dive into branding from both. They're both designers. I love that show. Um, and then, you know, he, uh, Andy there has a firm, Buttermilk Creative, Haley Jordan, Hope and Wire. Those are some people in this space, even just following them on LinkedIn. Like you can learn a ton from, from them. And there's so many podcasts, like including this one you're listening to now, like there's so many good resources to learn about branding and just see what's, you know, see what's best for your brand and how you can stand out. But yeah, it's, it's hugely important, even in places you wouldn't expect, you know, like with your co-manufacturer. That that's a good context to start your answer with, Jesse. So imagine if your co-packer is actually vetting you based on your brand as just one of the core items, you'd now realize how much more the consumer market would think about like your brand. Maybe not consciously as how your business partners would do it. But thank you so much for alluding to that. And I wanted to ask that because the CPG space is such a highly competitive cutthroat industry. And I think you put a lot of good context in terms of sharing that number of being at least, what, 40,000 items in grocery store. But when you place your product on a certain aisle or a shelf, there's at least probably, what, 30 to 40 other different products. And you've got like five to seven seconds to really stand out. So um, I, I wanted to reinforce that because there's a lot of good products out there within the industry, but it's going to be so difficult to stand out if you're just relying on, on product quality to win, right? Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, before you get somebody to really taste your 
your product, you have to have all of these things uh, in place from the operation standpoint, to branding, to, to your marketing. A couple more questions before we work towards wrapping up, Jesse. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the challenges in terms of operations, how you scale. And generally, I think we'll both agree that the industry is, is such an exciting but a very difficult space to be in. So I wanted to ask this, have you observed any commonalities in terms of success traits or qualities that CPG founders have to have a better chance of succeeding in this game? Yeah, it's a great question. And I love hearing other people's answers on things like this because there's so many different answers and it can look so different for so many people. But, you know, thinking through a lot of the founders that I've interviewed and have worked with, one of them, one of the things I would say is, and this is across business success, I would say probably in all areas, is just the ability to prioritize. There's so many things you can do. There's so many people you can reach out to, you know, there's so many next steps in there's only so many hours in a day. And I think the founders that have, you know, that learn to prioritize, whether they're using a formal prioritization method that they've learned in a book or just, or just, you know, figuring out at the beginning of the day, what they're going to focus on and really focusing on those items versus being scattered. I think that can really help a company move in in a direction versus moving, you know, kind of a, a more jagged path being kind of wherever other people pull you, but having a really clear focus on where you're going. The other area that I think, and is I'm seeing this become more common, like at Startup CPG, for example, but I think founders are realizing that it's really important to have strong relationships and community. Like it's very lonely being a founder. That's one of the most common things people mention being on the show is that it's a lonely journey being a founder. And, you know, there's so many resources and organizations to tap into now, like, you know, startup CBG, you can, you have access to 14,000 other people in the industry. Like for BIPOC founders, there's Project Potluck, which is an incredible community, um, which people should check out if they haven't as well. Also like applying for accelerators like SKU and, you know, Target have these accelerators now. And, you know, just throwing your hat in for those, maybe even year after year trying to get in and some, and you get access to just people that are at the exact same stage as you, or maybe even one step ahead that just can say, Hey, this is exactly what I just did last week for the problem that you're solving. And I think founders that are tapping into that knowledge, a, like, you know, you're, you feel less lonely, you're more connected to people and B you're just getting real time knowledge on things rather than talking to someone who did something five years ago, you can talk to someone who did it five minutes ago. And because the industry changes, that can be so, so valuable. And kind of within that also is just the relationships piece of, you know, relationships in this, in this industry are so important. You can make relationships through these communities, but like how you treat suppliers, especially a supply chain is where often the worst of people comes out. I think uh, people are not always the kindest to the people in their supply chain because it's frustrating, right? Freight, freight delays are frustrating. Price increases are frustrating. But I find that making sure you're building long-term relationships with your suppliers and freight partners and all those people, like that will yield benefits down the road that are hard to even, you know, like hard to even explain. There are people I've followed throughout their career that I can just, you know, I can call because I've, we've always been kind to each other and I know I can count on them. And when you set up those relationships from the beginning, that's super important. I think people are realizing you know, the importance of having really strong relationships in this in this industry. Yeah, thank you so much, Jesse. You know, what you're doing with the Startup CPG community is really great. 
And in, in this podcast and in our company, something that we also want to try uh, to do, you know, there's there's a lot of challenges in, in the industry. And as you mentioned, founders can feel very lonely. It's so difficult, especially if you don't get to have that community. So um, it's it's one thing that we also want to try to do, but more initiating down on the better for you of CPG space. So I, I want to take this chance to say kudos on everything that you're doing uh, in the space with your team and with everyone on, on the startup CPG community. And now, now, before I ask the final question, I usually love to do a quick recap just to reinforce some of the highlights of the things that I got from our conversation. Jesse, I'd like to begin by repeating some of your key learnings when you actually did a startup CPG role. Um, start Starting with the first one of not scaling too fast. I know it's always, <clears throat> excuse me, growth mindset, wanting to grow and scale, but there has to be a good balance of not scaling too fast because it's going to be difficult to grow fast effectively. And in particular, a specific example would be you want to grow more in store, in more stores and increase your door presence. But if you don't have the right marketing support, you can just backfire on you. The second one would be having that strong awareness of a long cash-to-cash cycle, uh, especially if you're not doing your own production. That means there's more layers in terms of how you manage cash. And the third one being having the right mindset in terms of your operational structure, building systems, how you hire employees, especially as you try to scale. Now, some specific items or action points that a CEO can do would really be starting with the basic of asking questions. Uh, So focus on what are the company's frustrations, talk to your employees, like are there clear answers about why they do what they do? Uh, are there clarity on how things are done? And then if you can, document as many things as possible and then always be on the lookout of where are the friction points because typically these are the areas where you can explore or do some improvements to boost um, efficiency. Some specific operational changes that they can do would be, again, sounds very basic, but... I think it's so basic that sometimes you don't see the impact of it. So I want to reiterate this. Having a system for naming and saving your files. That's it's one thing that could probably save you time when the time comes that you need to look for something. Usually that's a challenge if you don't have that right system and organization. The right balance of being scrappy as a startup, but at the same time trying to build up that structure as you go along because that means you need to be thinking about specific procedures, set up regular operations audit or check-in meetings, incorporate technology and systems or tools uh, as early as possible, especially if it's not going to take up additional time from you, right? And specific tools that you share, Jesse, would be Notion, Trello, Loom, And then for CRM, which you can start as early as possible, especially if you're trying to do wholesale uh, in your your company, would be HubSpot or Streak. Um, Customer experience is very, very big as well, especially as you scale. You want to make sure that you have the right systems to make your customers feel that they're really well taken care of, like gorgeous, and then even some chatbot systems that can automate text and, and chat inquiry. So I want to emphasize that guide, as you mentioned, there's probably not, there's probably no exact timing of when you should do this, but the good principle would be if it's going to save you time, might as well start implementing it the earliest possible time, right? And then talking about some of the common scaling challenges, I've actually got three from, from what you said. The first one being thinking about commercial availability of your ingredients. That's so huge. I think the saying goes like, what you're doing now that get you to some place won't be effective anymore if you want to go to another level, right? So be sure to start thinking about that as early as possible and then anticipate what are the pathway for growth that you can next take. 
Um, if you're going like local sourcing, the next one that you'd need if you scale at a much, much larger quantity would be very different. So think about your pathway for growth. And then the third one, as you scale, you obviously have to build your team and grow. So employee management would also be very important. Uh, there's no question that branding is, is, is a critical factor in success. So I think the, the core principle here is how can you differentiate yourself if there, there are like 40,000 other products in, in a grocery store where you want to compete. And then finally, it's important to know that while success qualities may differ, I've been asking this question in all of my podcast episodes and I agree, uh, agree with you on that, Jesse. But first would be ability to prioritize to go on a more focused direction. There are a thousand different things that you need to address as a founder, but you got to have that ability to prioritize. Second would be building strong relationships, thinking long-term. And at the same time, it's a good way to battle the feeling of loneliness, you know, when you're so stressed out and you don't have someone to talk to. And then finally, I think generally it's just you trying to be a decent person. Be kind to everybody. And that's going to obviously going to have some some good returns on you generally in your life, not just as a founder. Is that a good recollection of some of the things that you share, Jesse? Anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, that was incredible. Thank you. I really appreciate you giving that little recap. That was awesome. So yeah, no, that was that was amazing. I'd like to go now to my final question, which is usually more on a personal note, Jesse. I want to ask you, what is the biggest decision that you've had to make so far in your life, which turned out to have a tremendous impact on you? This is such a tough question. And I actually, I pivoted a little bit to, it actually ended up being kind of a small decision that ended up having one of the biggest impacts, which is really interesting. And that was during the pandemic. I a, a connection of mine from from graduate school had reached out and said, "Hey, will you be on my podcast?" And so I said, "Sure, I'll, you know, happy to be on your podcast." And I was on, um, on his podcast, and and then I was like, "Well, this is kind of fun. Maybe I could start a podcast." And within two weeks, I, like once I decide I'm going to do something, I don't usually waste any time. And so within two weeks, I think I had my my new podcast live, which was called Iro's Corner. Um, it, it's it's still up, and uh, I was I just started doing that for fun. You know, I miss talking to people, and I had so much fun with it. Started meeting so many incredible people, and you know, after I think twenty or so episodes, then the opportunity came up at Startup CPG to be their podcast host, and I applied for that. You know, based on you know having been a little bit of a podcaster for a while. And then here I am over, you know, like three years later, over a hundred episodes later. And, you know, I have met so many incredible people through podcasting, both through Startup CBG and my personal podcast. And it, it really has changed the, changed my trajectory, you know, of my career to just the people that I've met through podcasting and just finding podcasting to be part of my career. So it was a little decision, you know, kind of a spur of moment that really changed, really changed everything. Um, so hopefully that answers your question well enough. Yeah, I think that becomes even more powerful, Jesse. It's not necessarily always have to be those big decisions, but those tiny decisions, tiny pivots in life that set you on the path on where you should really be. So I think that's a powerful answer, Jesse. Thank you so much. This has been great, and I know we can go on and on, but I'd like us to go now to the last segment of the show, Jesse, which I call the finish line. It's essentially the lightning round where I have five questions that I want you to answer as concise as possible this time. Are you game? All right, let's do it. First off, name a characteristic that an entrepreneur must have to succeed. 
Oh gosh. Once I, I think I'd go back to prioritizing, being really good at prioritizing. Second one, any book or podcast? I know you mentioned a few already, but any particular book or podcast that you want to recommend for entrepreneurs to read or listen to? Mm, I love 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. I think that's a really excellent book. And one other would be How to Keep House While Drowning. That sounds not relevant to entrepreneurship, but I think it totally is. Like I, I think it totally is. So yeah, two books. I'll definitely check those two books out. Uh, next one would be, what is one thing that you fear the most as a founder yourself, Jesse? That's a good question. I think I I fear miss you know missing things, missing out on on people that have messaged me on LinkedIn or missing emails. There's just so many amazing people to connect with, and I I I I I'm afraid of you know missing them. And I know I miss some, but yeah, I I I think about that a lot of all the missed connections. Okay, the next one. If you're not a CPG consultant or podcast host now. What do you think would you be instead? Mm, I think I would host a different podcast. <laughs> I think I'd still be a podcaster, but maybe hosting a different podcast or writing. I love to write as well. Writing novel or anything at all? Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, probably like maybe some novels, maybe some essays. I don't know. I do love <laughs> to write though. Okay, fair enough. And finally, I want you to complete this sentence, Jesse. Success is... Dependent on the person. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. Thank you so much, Jesse, for your time and for being so generous in sharing so many insights and being open also to talking about your journey in the show. But before I let you go, can you please tell us where is the best place for people to learn about you, your services, and the Startup CPG podcast? Yeah, absolutely. Probably the best way to find me is to connect on LinkedIn. You can just search for me, send me a connection request or you know, follow me. And then there's links to the Startup CPG podcast from there. You can also find the Startup CPG podcast just in any podcast player. And then I also have a website, jessiefrytag.com. And, you know, there you can join my mailing list. I do some like courses and I offer some coaching um, in addition to my consulting work. So, but LinkedIn is probably the most central place. And I'd love to connect with anyone that reaches out. Great. We'll make sure to link those up in the show notes. And once again, Jesse, thanks for being here and may God bless you. Hey there, CPG founders. Are you tired of trying to figure out what's really driving consumers to choose and buy better for you food and beverage CPG products? If you answered yes and want to get into the minds and hearts of your customers, then we have something for you. You should check out our free ebook, Cracking the Code where you can find six core insights that motivate consumers to buy products like yours. This is available for a limited time only, so be sure to get your copy now. Go to your browser and type in thevineyardbc.com/freebook. That's thevineyardbc.com/freebook.